Father, we come to you today, and we're just so grateful for your word. We thank you for the way it challenges us, and Father, just uh, the way that you teach us, that you just mold us into the disciples that you want us to be. Father, we just pray as we look at your word today and look at this subject of remembrance that, Father, for each of us here, there'll be clarity as to exactly what you have us to walk away from this message with. pray all these things in Jesus' name. By the way, how about a how about a little love for the band this morning? Great job. We, uh, we have some folks in the band that are in another sister church this morning, so we're down a few people, but boy, you couldn't tell. Just a tremendous job. And by the way, Eddie is one of those that's helping out a sister church this morning that didn't have any musicians. And uh, he wanted me to let you know he is coming back. Apparently his Facebook post got misinterpreted a little bit. He's just gone for one week, but uh, he'll be back uh, uh, next week. But uh, we're glad that uh, they're, uh, they're blessing another place today, and God's using them in another, another place. And thankful for those that are here this morning. It is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern coast of Florida every Friday he went there every single Friday evening until his death in 1973. He would walk slowly down the beach. He was slightly stooped with age. And he would carry a bucket of shrimp. And the seagulls would just flock to him as he would pass out the shrimp. And as you may be thinking, well, there's got to be a little bit more to this story. And there is. Many years ago, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 bomber to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. There was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the B-17 or the Flying Fortress, as they were sometimes referred to, began to run low on fuel. They lost radio contact and made a decision to ditch their plane into the Pacific Ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights as large sharks would ram their rafts. The largest of their rafts was nine foot by four foot. Many of the sharks were over 10 feet long. But of all the enemies they had at the sea, the one that proved the most formidable was starvation. Eight days out, their rations were gone. They'd either eaten them or they had been destroyed by the salt water. And it appeared it would take a miracle to sustain them. And that's exactly what happened. Here's his own words, Captain Eddie's own words. Sherry, that was our B-17 pilot, Captain William Sherry, read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and sang a hymn of praise. There was some talk 
but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep off some of the glare, I dozed off. I woke up when I felt something land on my head. I don't know how I knew, but I knew it was a seagull. No one said a word. Peering out from underneath the brim of my hat without moving my head, I could see the expressions of the other men in my raft. They were all staring at that gull. That gull, McQueen. And as they say, the rest is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull. Its flesh was eaten by the sailors. They took the intestines and used it for fish bait. And of course, once they caught one fish, then they could continue that process of, of using other fish for, debate, for bait, and they survived. And eventually, they were rescued. They were rescued because of a lone seagull hundreds of miles from the nearest land. Captain Eddie realized that that seagull made a sacrifice, and he never forgot that. And so every Friday, about sunset, you can see him walking along that seacoast that I mentioned to you. White-haired, bushy-browed, slightly bent, his bucket full of shrimp to feed the gulls, to remember the one which a day long ago saved his life. This weekend, and specifically tomorrow, is a day of remembrance. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. It was set aside as a day to remember those who lost their lives for the cause of freedom. And you know the idea of remembering is not just something that countries do. It's also a concept that is very prominent in Scripture. Perhaps God understands that, that we as humans are just prone to forget. Did you know that the word remember or memorial or remembrance is found 230 times in Scripture? And the actual Hebrew word for memorial is kind of a fascinating word. It actually, in its verb form, means to pierce or to penetrate or to actually press into the memory. When you think about it in that terms of piercing or pressing into our conscience, it kind of gives it a little bit of different understanding. Memorials are intended to remember a person or a significant event. And oftentimes when you look at scriptures, there are different memorials that, that God ordered, especially in the Old Testament for the Israelites memorials that they were to build. Let me share just one of them with you this morning. It's over in the book of Joshua. The words will be up on the screen behind me. It reads this way. Joshua 4, verses 4 through 7. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of Jordan. Each of you is to take a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of Israel, to serve as a sign among you. And then listen to this. In the future, when your children ask you, 
What do these stones mean? Tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. You know, just like we have all these statues and cannons and stuff a half a mile or so from here, out on the Chickamauga National Battlefield, they remind us of, of sacrifices and events that happened over 150 years ago there. It was the same kind of thing that God was having these Israelites do. I want you to make out of stones this memorial to remind people forever that on this day, God stopped the Jordan River from flowing so that his people could cross. And of course, there's other memorials in the Old Testament. There's the Passover feast that is still done today to memorialize when the Egyptians let the Israelites go. Some of you were here a couple of years ago. Remember the Purim feast that we talked about in the book of Esther? How about the New Testament? Probably the most important of all of the scriptural memorials. The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is something we do to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. This morning, quickly. Three things that we need to remember today. First of all, we need to remember those who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. John F. Kennedy once said this, Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and success of liberty. Jesus said this in the book of John. Greater love have no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In the Civil War, 365,000 northern soldiers were killed. 133,000 soldiers from the south died. In World War I, 116,000 American soldiers were killed. World War II, almost 407,000. Over 54,000 died in Korea. Over 58,000 in Vietnam. 148 in the Gulf War. Almost 4,900 in Iraq. And over 2,300 in Afghanistan. That's over a million Americans who would die in each of our wars. Much loved by someone. Every one of those men and women paid the ultimate price in the support and defense of our freedom. We are free today. Free to pray. Free to worship. Free to speak. Free to assemble. Free to vote. Because of their sacrifice. Jimmy Chapman writes this, and I don't know who's the orator of this, but this is what he writes. It is the soldier, not the theologian, who has secured our freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has secured our freedom of press. It is the soldier, not the protester, who has secured our freedom to demonstrate. 
It is the soldier, not the judge or lawyer, who has secured our judicial system. It is the soldier, not the entrepreneur, who has secured our economic opportunity. It is the soldier whose coffin is draped in the flag who has secured freedom for those who wish to burn the flag. Today we remember those. And it's important to remember. George Washington commented on this when he said this. The willingness with which our young people are likely to serve in any war, no matter how justified, shall be in direct proportion as to how they perceive the veterans of earlier wars were treated and appreciated by their nation. First, this morning, we remember the fall. Secondly, we need to remember saints of old, saints who died for their faith. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 is often known as the hall of fame of scripture, of, of saints of old, the, the roll call, so to speak. But there's something very interesting. You read about all those saints and different things that they did and the great faith they had and things like that. But you may have never noticed that when you get to the end of the verse or the end of the chapter, there's these verses that kind of talk about saints who are kind of nameless. And, you know, in every conflict, there are, there are people that are nameless who give their lives that, that nobody knows about. And that seems to be what God is referring to here at the end of the book of Hebrews. Just listen to what he says, beginning with verse 36. Some, so we know who they are, some face jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. And he goes on to say, he uses a pronoun, but we don't know who they are. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Some think that refers to Isaiah, who by legend was sawed to in cut in half. But it's a plural term, so there was more than one. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in hay, caves and holes in the ground. And there's just kind of this summary about the many kinds of suffering that took place. A summary of what these thankful saints, who we don't know their names, endured. Whether they suffered physically or emotionally or both. Is they suffered. One word that's particularly interesting in this passage is the word flogging there. It can actually better be translated torture. And the interesting thing about this particular word, it's, it's where our English word kettle drum comes from. And it referred to a specific form of torture where they would stretch a human being out over something that resembled a kettle drum. And then they would beat them until they died. The point of all this is these saints of old, these unnamed saints that we don't, don't know about, they would rather be tortured and killed than compromise their faith. Do you think maybe we as Americans sometimes take for granted the marvelous liberties that we say maybe that we're spoiled. I see some of you nodding your head in agreement. That we're, that we're just spoiled. There are millions and millions, maybe even billions of people that do not enjoy the liberties and the freedom that we have. And there are Christians that for years have been killed for their faith and Christians today that are dying 
share a couple examples quickly from people from years gone by, that names that you may not be familiar with. Bishop Ridley was burned at the stake because he maintained that Peter was not killed because of his confession, but that he was killed because he refused to renounce the name of Jesus Christ. Bishop Lattimore was burned at the stake because he maintained that Christ was the only propitiation or the only sacrifice for our sins, and he refused to recognize that a mass, like the Catholic service, that was a joint sacrifice of sin, so to speak, he said he would not participate with that. He was burned at the stake, and his words were, there is no propitiation for our sins except the cross. Amen. In other words, a priest would do that. Here are some statistics about today. It is estimated that 43 million Christians have been killed for their faith since Jesus was crucified. And you probably hear that statistic, and in your mind you're thinking, yeah, there was all those crusades, and that probably makes up the majority of that. The statistic goes on to say that of that 43 million, 26 million of those Christians have been killed in the last hundred Estimates are that an average of 150 to 160,000 Christians are martyred every year. That's 2019, 18, 17, and so forth. It has been stated that more than 2 million Christians worldwide live in fear of persecution. Since 1983, just in Sudan, 2 million Christians have been murdered by militant Muslims. Here's a very recent statistic. It's estimated that 170,000 Christians have been murdered by ISIS. The Christian Post reports 90,000 Christians were killed by Muslims in 2016, which is, if you do the math, is one every six minutes. Some of you, I'm sure, remember the news from a month or two ago when the churches were attacked in Africa and people were drug out of the churches and executed. Churches burned, Bibles burned. In Iran, where Islam is the official religion, a person who commits to Christianity can be executed. In Saudi Arabia, which is one of our closest allies, there is no freedom of religion. There are no public worship services, services other than what occur in the mosque. Anyone who converts to a religion, not just Christianity, but any religion other than Islam is subject to execution. Anybody who participates in trying to convert somebody to another religion is subject to execution. This should remind us that we need to be grateful and we need to remember what we have in the United States of America. Third one is this. We need to remember our Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, it reads this way. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Here's that scriptural word that's mentioned 230 times. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance. There's that word again. 
of the week. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You ever have those times in your life where maybe you just stray a little bit from God? Or maybe you just feel a little bit distant? I know there can be different reasons for that, but do you ever think it might just be because we just lose sight a little bit of what Christ did for us? That we, we, we just forget that? That we lose the, the sight of the fact that, that Jesus died so that we can have forgiveness and have a promise of new life, eternal life? I think sometimes we just forget and just take for granted. So this morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Oh. 